0: So today we have probably the most famous of all the parables of Jesus. It's my favorite parable personally that Jesus tells. It might be my favorite bit of scripture, period. It's the parable of the prodigal son, or the it's sometimes called the parable of the two sons. And this is really a masterpiece. Every single word, every single sentence is just soaked with meaning. And it's, it's one of those that when you go back to over and over again as you start to age, it very differently communicates. God communicates in a different way as we, as we start to grow and, and, and age. And so today I'd like to just talk about the three characters that the story revolves around and give maybe kind of the three stories that are going on with each of these characters and just say very few things about each of them. We, of course, have the older son, who tends to be seen as the main character by many. We have the the younger son. We have the older son, who we don't hear about until the end of the story. And then we have the father. Who really, I think, Jesus wants us to see as the central figure and character. And Jesus is describing who God is as he describes the Father. And so we start with the younger son. son who takes his father's inheritance and he goes off to a foreign land and spends his wealth. So the wealth entraps him. And he with, his, with his, uh, his mind and his eyes towards kind of this greedy goal of money, um, he's a very relevant character for all of us, I think, especially in 2022. A lot of us don't think about this, we take it for granted, but we are in the most prosperous country in time in basically all of human history. So just being an average American makes you rich, comparatively, especially comparatively in the history of the world. And there's all sorts of really interesting studies on this that have come out in the past five to ten years that talk about our standard of living compared to those who have come before us, the reduction of poverty throughout the world over the course of the past 50 years or so. And so the, the entrapments of wealth should always be something that we're kind of considering as spiritual people. Psalm 49 says these famous words. It says, In his riches, man lacks wisdom. He is like the beasts that are destroyed. In his riches, man lacks wisdom. As he starts to accumulate wealth and orient his life towards wealth. In his riches, man lacks wisdom. He is like the beasts that are destroyed. He becomes like an animal. And so we see the the younger son actually take this trajectory that the psalmist talks about. He becomes basically an animal. He lives with pigs by, by the end of his time spending his money on wealth. And, of course, we know that even to this day, Jews do not even eat, they don't even eat pork, right? And so this is, he was, this is an image for hell. This is him, like, completely and utterly losing all of his dignity, every last shred of dignity, and becoming an animal. And so the one thing that makes us human the most and separates us from the animals, the younger son has forsaken. And that thing that makes us different than the animals is, is our capacity for relationship and for love in relationship. Because the older son has forsaken the relationship with his father and with his brother too and been taken in by this hedonistic lifestyle. And so, in his emptiness, he starts to feel this sense of contrition. And so, all of us have probably had the experience of experiencing some kind of physical pleasure or buying something, right? And you have that, you have that desire that leads up to the act of of whatever kind of hedonistic thing that we're into, and you want it, you want it, you want it, you get it, and then you feel drained and you kind of come down, right? And maybe even a, a sense of emptiness. And so when we take that to its highest level, we can really feel that emptiness because we as human beings are made for relationship. We're made for relationship with God first and foremost and relationship with others. Deep, intimate relationships. And sometimes God allows us to feel our own poverty, whether it be through guilt in our conscience or just allowing us, like in the instance of the sun, to hit rock bottom. So that in this state of emptiness and feeling our own lack of capacity to actually provide for ourselves happiness that we orient ourselves towards the things that are actually meaningful in life. And so in the emptiness, the Son doesn't make a perfect act of contrition, as we would say in the church. He makes an imperfect act of contrition. And so an imperfect act of contrition is... When we just don't want to be in a state of of hell, because we can experience hell here on Earth, we'd say a state that's maybe outside of what we would the Catechism would call a state of grace, and it's like more of a fear of hell than an actual love of God. But God's okay with that. God actually accepts imperfect contritions. I had a uh, a Protestant friend who always, he still talks about this, he just gets really excited coming from his own Protestant background at the imperfect contrition. He just thinks it's awesome because all, all he has to do is repent, right, a little bit from his sins. And for the, the younger son, that's what he does. Perfect contrition looks like, hey, Dad, I, I can't believe I did this to you. I'm so sorry. Like, I've really hurt you here. That's a perfect intrition when we have that for God. But the younger son doesn't have that at all. He just kind of reasons and ration, rationalizes to himself, I'm eating pig's food right now. I could be in a way better circumstance if I just go to my dad and say I'm sorry and beg for forgiveness and say, treat me like one of your servants or your slaves. He's not really concerned with what he's done to the father. But this is enough to get him on his way back to his father. Just like, you know, just a really guilty conscience is sometimes a very good motivator for all of us. That's a gift that God's given us, is a well-formed conscience. And so he goes to the father, and he's reconciled with the father. And then there's this big celebration, and then we come to the older brother. And the older brother is like the legalistic guy. And this is a complete misunderstanding of, of faith, right? And so for him, the issue and the, the shortcoming is he's self focused, it's all about his actions. I had breakfast a few, uh, a few years ago now with one of my friends who's a fall, fallen away Catholic. And one of the things that he was the most upset about, uh, that he intellectually that he just couldn't quite comprehend was how could God at the end of your life decide if you're going to heaven with just a, a list of the of the good things that you've done, and then he's got a list of the bad things that you've done, and then in just in, in this way, just kind of say, okay. Your good things outweigh your bad things, or your bad things outweigh your good things. You're going to hell or you're going to heaven. And he thought that was just so dumb. And he he was actually right. That is very dumb. That's not how it works. Essentially, when we come to God at the end, God will either say, Well done, good and faithful servant. He says, You know, I'm friends with you and you've been friends with me. I know you very well. Come into the kingdom. Or he'll say the dreaded words, I don't know you. That's the way that Jesus describes it. The moral law and the the rules, so to speak, are always oriented towards the relationship. And so the the issue that the older son has is he's so self-focused it's all about him. I've been doing all these good things for all these years, Dad. You haven't even noticed. And his dad's like, what? His dad's like what, what are you talking about? Can you just come inside? He's just completely self-focused. It's about him. So much so that he can't see the goodness and the joy and how awesome this is that his brothers returned. And then the final character is the father. And... You know, we might lose a little bit of this because we're in 2022. But this would have been very unusual for the listeners at the time to hear what the father was doing. Um, This is kind of below the dignity of the patriarch of the household. So the patriarch should be, maybe if it was uh, a more ordinary story of how things typically would have been he would have been sitting down and he would have been waiting for his son to return. And he would have maybe got his one of his servants would have came and he would have said, hey, your son's here. And he'd have him come in and do this whole kind of penitential apology. And, you know, when you can hear this in the younger son, when he rehearses the speech that he's going to give to his dad. And when the son actually does come back home, it's, it's very moving and beautiful to see the, the reaction of the father. The father's actually out there and the father runs to him. The father, this old man, just starts running to his son. He's very very clearly been waiting for his son to return. And has been thinking about him daily. Always keeping an eye out. Probably his number one prayer every single day is... I'm sure resonates with many of us parents. As the old saying goes, you're only as happy as your least happy child. And so he's praying for his return. He runs to his son and then the son comes up and the son says, he starts to give his little speech about, you know, I'm so, you know just make me a slave. And the father interrupts him halfway through his rehearsed speech and restores his dignity completely. Symbolized in the ring, the robe, the sandals. He says immediately, and now let's have a celebration. And then at the end of the story, once again, the father is just pleat. The word that's used is he's pleading with the older son. Please come inside, celebrate. And th- th- this is the image of heaven, of being with all the people that you love, At a giant party. That is how Jesus is describing heaven here. Come into heaven. Come into heaven. And he's just too self-focused. He won't won't go. He's stuck. He won't won't go in. And that's how. That's an image of how. Ultimate self-focus. Dante talks about that in the Divine Inferno. Jesus, we ask you to help us to enjoy what you are offering us, the celebration. Help us to not be like the younger son and worship false gods of honor, pleasure, power, and wealth. But help us to orient and fixate our relationship on you and the community that you've given us, our family, the church, help us to invest in what actually matters and not get distracted by wealth and worldly things. And we ask you to also help us to not be legalistic or moralistic in our understanding of our relationship to you, but help us to really spend time in prayer, enjoy time that we spend with you help us to to have open and and ready hearts when we're here at mass help us to look forward to coming to mass and look forward to the communion that you offer us with your fatherly heart we ask this all through christ our lord amen and let us take a few moments in silent prayer just to listen to and speak with the lord in our hearts